Good morning. Good morning, everybody. It's really nice to see your beautiful faces here this morning. Uh, as Shannon said, my name is Lauren, and I'm the prayer ministry coordinator here. I want to welcome our visitors here today. I know I met some new people already. If you're here for the first time, make sure you stick around and introduce yourselves to somebody because we really want to meet you. I want, also want to say hello to everybody who is watching us online. You are family too, and we welcome you to come and join us in person here in Flossmoor when you have the chance. So um, I grew up in a small town in rural Vermont on 100 acres, um, lots of space, lots of land, and it's the same place where my father grew up and my grandmother grew up before him. And we had lots of extended family as our neighbors. We had a great uncle across the street. We had a great aunt down the road, a cousin next door. My Nana lived up the hill. And, and everybody else in our neighborhood were people that either my father had grown up with or my grandmother had grown up with. So everybody really knew everyone. And that meant that as a kid, I couldn't really get away with anything. Not that I tried to. <laughs> um, but when I moved away from home, I lived in uh, various cities and people were closer to together and I lived amongst a bunch of strangers. Um, and uh, about six years ago, my family and I found a, a sweet little house in a neighborhood here in Homewood. And it, it's got this huge backyard that's tree-lined. It's like forest-lined in the back. And there is a place that you can sit in the back family room and look out this picture window. And I, I can't see a fence or a, or a neighbor's house on either side of me. I can just see the backyard and the forest. And I can sit there and I can pretend that my neighbors are acres away and I am back in Vermont. Um, with lots of land, and I love it. But what I didn't realize at the time when I moved there, that I would actually come to love having my neighbors close by. So when I moved in, I was immediately greeted by the woman across the street. She had kids around my age, and she had lived in the neighborhood for years, and um, she was integral to getting me folded into the neighborhood. Then I began connecting with my neighbor on either side, and as the years went by, there was some turnover, and as new families moved in, they ended up bringing new kids to our block. So a few years ago, I found a clearance swing on all, at, at Aldi, which is my favorite place to shop, um, and I found another baby swing off of a Facebook group. And um, even though I have this tree-lined backyard, there was not a good place to hang these trees in the backyard. But I had this beautiful maple tree in the front yard. And I thought, well, play equipment really isn't supposed to be in the front yard. But this is the only place I have for these swings, so I'll hang up the swings. I have some pictures here. So that's my son, Nelson, on, the, on one swing. And then the other one is my older son, Austin, and his uh, little sister, Evelyn, in the baby swing. So. What ended up happening was these swings that were in the front yard ended up being magnets for the neighborhood kids. Kids would come into our front yard and hop on those swings. Even kids who were walking by with their family from other blocks would hop in and, and get on those swings. And so I ended up adding about five more swings throughout the year to handle the capacity of our neighborhood. So our 
our block, our, our, our yard is always open, and we often come home to kids already on the swing than when we weren't even there, and we leave home and we leave them in our yard. But our yard isn't the only house that they play at. They're also playing basketball down on the corner. They're doing flips on the air track next door. They're on the sprinkler in the yard across the street. What ended up happening was these, these swings served as a catalyst for the relationships that began to be built between these kids. And naturally, as the kids began to build relationships, the parents began to build relationships too. So we've got this neighborhood uh, mom's text thread, and we're often texting each other like, I'm cooking and I ran out of cumin. Does anyone have a tablespoon I could use? Or, I kid you not, I've got three ripe banana. I've got three green bananas. Does anyone have three ripe ones they could trade me for? Or, can someone please come and hold my baby so I can take a shower? This community that we have built here, it, it may sound like a fairy tale or something out of a bygone era, but I think that it's something that can be cultivated anywhere with some intentionality. This tribe that is now on my block is something that I have come to love and appreciate and value. So as we wrap up our summer series on relationships, I'd like to speak this morning on how we can relate to our neighbors in a message I'm calling Neighboring Well. So each summer at the SSB, we like to take some time to focus on one of the most consequential aspects of our Christian life, and that is our relationships with other people. And we've named this series One Anothering, and One Another has been mentioned in the New Testament a hundred times, and 59 of those occurrences are specific commandments on how we as Christians are supposed to relate to or not relate to one another. So this series so far has taken an elevated approach to neighboring, uh, sorry, to relationships. Um, Pastor Gino opened up our series talking, us, talking to us about the importance of self-awareness and, and how we relate to others. We heard a message on how we should respond well when others fail. Jordan brought us a wonderful message on how we should love each other well on online platforms such as social media. Shannon brought us a message on how we can see, welcome, love, and speak like Jesus. And then last week, Pastor Gino talked about the importance of small groups here at church. Now, while we began this series with an elevated approach, what I'd like to do this morning is zoom in and focus on one specific relationship, and that is the relationship with our neighbors. And not our metaphorical neighbors, but our actual neighbors. So we're going to be headed back to Luke chapter 29 to re-examine the parable of the Good Samaritan. We'll be starting at verse 25. There are Bibles at the edges of your row. Um, Also feel free to use your Bibles on your phones and know the text will also be displayed on the screen. So while you find that, let me pray. Lord, as we open your word today, would you make it shine fresh? Would you bring fresh, new revelation and wisdom this morning? Would you move me out of the way, Lord, and let your message come through? God, I pray that your spirit would tailor this message to each individual heart. More of you, Lord, and less of me. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, so Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love the neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Neighbor. It's a weird word, right? Neighbor. When you say neighbor, what do you mean? Like, what do you really mean? See, the man asking this question, he's a lawyer, and lawyers are experts in finding loopholes. Does anyone know that, right? So he's, it says here, the, the man wanting to justify his actions. So he's saying, who am I supposed to love? Are we talking about the person next door? Are we talking about on my block? Are we talking about like a one mile radius? Be, be more specific here. So this lawyer is saying, if you tell me to love my neighbor, define neighbor. And before we go into Jesus's response, let's take a look at the definition that this lawyer would have been familiar with. And we're gonna look at a passage in Leviticus chapter 19 um, where this commandment was first shared. And Leviticus is part of the Old Testament of the Bible. Um, and much of the Old Testament is sharing the story of the people of Israel who were God's people. And they were called out and called apart and set apart as holy. And the Israelites, after fleeing from slavery in Egypt, they're traveling on their long journey to the promised land. And about 13 months into their journey, they're camped at Mount Sinai, where God speaks to their leader, Moses, and gives him the laws that fill this book. So this expert in the Jewish law, these are the laws that he would have been most familiar with. So if we look in chapter 19, starting at verse 9. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields, and do not pick what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vine, and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not deceive or cheat one another. Do not bring shame to the name of your God by using it to swear falsely. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make hired, your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. Do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. You must fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. Do not spread slanderous gossip among you. Do not stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. I am the Lord. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will, be held, so they, so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So in this section of text, God is making a distinction between neighbor and foreigner. A neighbor is a fellow Israelite. He starts off by saying like, hey, don't be greedy with your crops, leave some for the poor and the foreigners, right? He's saying, be honest with your dealings with your neighbors. Don't look the other way when a neighbor needs your help. 
Don't hold a grudge against your neighbor. And at the end of this section, it's summed up by saying, love your neighbor as yourself. So with this context of how the expert in religious law would have defined neighbor, let's go back to how Jesus answered his question. So to the man's question, who is my neighbor, Jesus responds with a parable, and I'm just going to summarize it here. There was a Jewish man who was traveling down a road, and he got robbed and beaten and left for dead at the side of the road. A priest comes by. He ignores the man and walks on. A temple assistant comes by. He ignores the man and walks on by. Then a despised Samaritan man comes by, and he actually stops and helps the man. He stops and he puts himself at risk by bringing this man into town to get the care that he needs. So Jesus turns back to the lawyer. Now, which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man that was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So there was no loophole now for this lawyer. Jesus is calling him to love everyone who is in need of love. And this right here is an example of how Jesus calls us to an even higher standard than the law set. This costly, sacrificial, indiscriminate love, it's heavy, and it's a high bar. But what I'd like to do this morning is bring the bar down a little bit. What if instead of talking about loving everybody, everywhere, when we talk about our neighbor, what if we talked about just loving our actual neighbor, the person next door? So if the great commandment is graduate-level love, let's talk about Love 101, or remedial-level love, or kindergarten-level love, if you will. I'm not saying that loving everyone isn't important. It certainly is. But if we are trying to love everyone, we actually run the risk of ending up loving no one. And I think that it's helpful if we put a face to the target of our love, to narrow down our focus so that we can move from metaphorically loving our metaphorical neighbor to actually loving our actual neighbor. And it's this shift from metaphorical love to actual love that real impact can happen. Now, since we're going back to elementary school this morning, I have prepared a worksheet for us all to complete. So if you look in the seat back pockets in front of you, you will find a green sheet of paper. If you are in the very back row, tap on the shoulder of someone in front of you. I put extra sheets in the uh, second to last row. If you are online, just grab a, a scrap sheet of paper and draw a giant tic-tac-toe board on it. Okay, so what we've got here is in the middle is your house. And the eight squares around the outside are the um, houses around you. Now, if you don't live in a house, you live in an apartment, we're talking about apartments around you. If you don't have a neighbor behind you, we're talking just about your eight closest neighbors, okay? 
So the people to the right, to the left, in front of you, behind you, all around you, eight closest neighbors. Okay, so in line A, what we're going to write down of your eight closest neighbors is we're gonna write down the names. And if you, if you are sitting next to someone you live with, you can work together to fill this out. And first names only are okay. We can't say like crazy cat lady, that doesn't count. Um, real names. Okay, I'll give you a minute to work on this. All right, some of you are slowing down. I think it's getting a little tough. Remember, this is kindergarten level love, people. Okay, okay. So if you, if you are still going, keep going, but I'll let the others know. For line B, we wanna put in any relevant information about that person. So it has to be something specific to them, not like drives a blue Honda Accord. Um, you know, she is a school teacher or he is a veteran, um, you know, some, something like that. Something, a specific, um, a specific attribute of that specific neighbor. I think it's probably starting to get a little bit difficult. And maybe if you were someone who is really concerned about your grades at school, you might be, some beads of sweat might be starting to... Form. I don't know. Okay, so line C, if you're, if you're still in this, okay, line C, I want you to write down any in-depth information that you might have about this neighbor. Maybe career plans, hopes, dreams, or fears. Anything meaningful that you have learned from interacting with them. I think by this point, we can we can pause, you can, you can tuck this into your purse or your pocket and take it home to continue working on it. Um, but is, was, anyone a, was anyone able to fill out this chart completely? No, no, in some circles, this chart has been affectionately called the chart of shame. Um, but I don't think that we need to feel shame about it, I think that we can just use this information as a point of reference for where we are right now in, in relation to our relationships with our neighbors. And I'll tell you right now that I have actively been working at trying to love my neighbor well, neighbors well for years, and I still would not be able to completely fill out this chart. Now, I can't take credit for this exercise, uh, it actually comes from this book, The Art of Neighboring, that was written by Dave Runyon and uh, Jay Pathak, who is actually the Vineyard USA director. Um, and, and I want to read a passage from this book that I think that really well sums up the value of neighboring well. So Dave and Jay, they were sharing a story about a meeting that they had with some other pastors and the mayor of their city. Um, so, you know, talking about a joint effort of how that they as churches could help the community. Okay? The ensuing discussion revealed a laundry list of social problems similar to what many cities face. At-risk kids, areas with dilapidated housing, child hunger, drug and alcohol abuse, loneliness, elderly shut-ins with no one to look in on them, the list went on and on. 
Then the mayor said something that inspired our joint church movement. The majority of these issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. Later, he explained that often when people identify a problem, they come to civic officials saying something like, this is becoming a serious issue and you should start a program to address it. Fry shared candidly that with us that in his opinion, government programs aren't always the most effective way to address social issues. He went on to say that relationships are more effective than programs because they're organic and ongoing. And this idea that when neighbors are in relationship with one another, the elderly shut-in gets cared for by the person next door, and the at-risk kid gets mentored by the dad at, who lives on the block, and so on. After the mayor left the meeting that day, our group of pastors was left to reflect on what he had shared, and I, Jay, can remember sitting there, and before I could think, I just blurted out, am I the only one here who's a little bit embarrassed? I mean, here we are asking the mayor how we can best serve the city, and he basically tells us it would be great if we could just get our people to obey the second half of the Great Commandment. In a word, the mayor invited a room full of pastors to get their people or people to obey Jesus. Let that sink in for a minute. If we as a church were to actually obey Jesus, if we were to actually love our actual neighbor, it could be a catalyst for real positive change in our communities. But how? How do I love my neighbor? Well, I think the first step is to get to know them, right? I mean, it's hard to love someone who you've never spoken with. I think that everyone's probably familiar with the nod and wave, you know, the polite acknowledgement to your neighbor as they're pulling out of their driveway or as they're walking their dog. This is not genuine engagement. We are trying to build relationships with the people we live by. We are trying to move from strangers to acquaintances and from acquaintances to meaningful relationships. And it's this shift from acquaintances to meaningful relationships where we really have an opportunity to have a positive impact on the lives of those that we live around. But even though I refer to this as kindergarten love, it's really not that easy, is it? And I think that the biggest barrier to neighboring well is fear. Now, I would call myself a pretty outgoing person. I, striking up the conversation with a stranger is not that difficult for me, but I bet some of you hear the thought of walking up to someone and introducing yourself out of the blue, like making your palms sweat. But I think that there's some, some creative ways that we can get around this fear barrier. Going for, the walk, going for a walk around your neighborhood at the end of the day is a wonderful way to, to interact with your neighbors. Um, if you've got a kid or a dog, that these are great because kids and dogs are people magnets and great icebreakers. In fact, I heard a story of a pastor who actually, at the beginning of his neighboring well journey, he got a dog as a means to get to know his neighbors better. Now, that is commitment. So maybe, your do maybe dogs aren't your thing, um, and maybe walking isn't your thing. Well, it, 
probably should be your thing. It's really healthy for you. But say walking isn't your thing. A simple shift that you could make is moving some of your backyard outdoor activities to the front yard. Now, I know everybody's home and neighborhood is different. Uh, maybe you live in an apartment complex. Maybe you don't have a yard. But generally, where you live, there's a private outdoor space and then more of a public communal outdoor space. So maybe you like to um, sit outside and have a cup of coffee. Try sitting on your front porch instead of your back deck. Maybe at the end of the day, you like to sit outside and have a cocktail. Maybe put your chairs in your front lawn instead of on your back patio. Maybe even put out a few extra chairs so you can catch a neighbor walking by and invite them to join you for a drink. Now maybe you're saying, Lauren, I'm not an outdoor person. I don't do anything outside. I move from my climate-controlled car to my climate-controlled house. And I would say that it, will be, it could be difficult to get to know your neighbors this way. But not impossible. So uh, Jay shared a story in this book. Um, he and his wife hosted a small group at their house, and one, uh, one evening they were having a fellowship night where they weren't doing the regular Bible study. They were just like coming together to eat. And um, his wife was grilling out front of their apartment complex, and as neighbors were coming home from work, she was catching them and saying, hey, go grab something from your fridge, come up to our apartment, Tubi, and, and join us tonight. And so Jay comes home from work, and he finds his home filled with dozens of faces he's never seen before that just happened to be people that lived right next to him. Now, that is some bold neighboring in action, opening your home up to people. And I'd like to remind you of the Samaritan man in the parable. If you want to talk about bold and overcoming fear. He would have had to have been extremely bold. Now you see, Samaritans were not just outcasts. They were actively despised by the Jewish people. So he had to be bold to go into town to bring this man to get the help that he needed. So if we're trying to love the way that Jesus has called us to love, we will need to be bold. And we will need to overcome some fears. And if you, can, if you can find a way to move out of your comfort zone, if you can find a way to be bold and engage with neighbors, the relationships that can come out of that are a really beautiful thing. Now, another barrier to neighboring well is time or lack thereof. Maybe you're listening to my suggestions on neighboring and you're thinking coffee in the morning, like I'm pressing the snooze button five times and then rushing out the door to go to work. Or walk in the evening, well my kid, he's got horseback riding lessons on Monday and on Tuesday he's got piano, Wednesday is swim lessons, Thursday is French, and then by Friday I'm just crashing on the couch because I'm exhausted from the week. I don't have time to neighbor well because my schedule is too full. And if you've been around this church for a while, you know that we often speak on the importance of leaving margin in your life for the things of God. If life were a buffet line and we're filling our plates with the snacks of life, we don't have room at the end of the day for the main course, which is God, right? 
Now, we've studied this commandment to love our neighbor in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke, and we've looked at it in the book of Leviticus. And you can also find the great commandment in Matthew chapter 22. And at verse 35, it reads, One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment of our law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally, turn to your neighbor and say equally. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two two commandments. So when it comes to neighboring well, its value, its importance is right up there with loving God. So just like if you were to come to me and say, Lauren, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to come to church. I would say, well, you need to make time. Likewise, I think that if you don't have time to connect, your, connect with your neighbors because your schedule is so jam-packed, you need to make time because loving your neighbors is equally important to loving God. And if you've been around the SSB for a while, you know that we don't pack our schedule with church events. We do want everybody to engage in a small group, and we do know the value of engaging with Christian community. But we're intentional about not overfilling our schedule with events, because what good are we going to be to the wider community if we're spending all of our time together, right? Our mission as a church is to love God, love people, and live it out. How are we going to live it out if we're not out living? Right? So when it comes to time being a barrier, I think the real solution is is recognizing the importance of loving your neighbor and assigning it the proper value in your life and then making time for it. So the Samaritan man, he didn't have rescue Jewish man on his schedule. He had his own plans. He was traveling somewhere to do something. He had his own agenda, but he made time for this man. He went out of his way. Whatever he may have had scheduled was pushed to the side so that he could love his neighbor. So if we build up the courage to engage with our neighbors, and we assign the proper value to the task of neighboring, we need to remember in our efforts that love is the end game. Love is the end game. Now, I know some of y'all are competitive, and, and, and you're seeing a worksheet, and you're like, okay, I'm jazzed to get this worksheet filled out. Now, if I can take a walk in the morning and a walk at night and put extra chairs on my front yard, I am going to be getting this chart filled out twice as fast. But let's clarify what we're trying to do here. We are trying to build relationships. This is not a reconnaissance mission to get our neighboring chart filled out. After we strike up a conversation, our goal should be to get to know our neighbors, figuring out things we have in common, figuring out ways that we can serve them and ways that they can serve us. I mean, I don't know if you've experienced this, but many people, especially at the beginning of a relationship, are more willing to give help than receive help. Now, I'm hopeless with plants, 
Um, they told me that the hardiest plant I could get, I couldn't kill it, was a snake plant. I proved them wrong, but I have two neighbors who are expert gardeners, and in my efforts to try and keep something green alive in my home, after all, I have kept four kids alive, I am reaching out to them for assistance. Maybe you have a neighbor who has like a really nice lawn. You could strike up a conversation and say, man, I love your lawn, can you give me some tips? on how I could do this to my lawn. Maybe you have a neighbor who um, is good with mechanics and you've got a busted snowblower. You could say, hey man, I gotta work on this. Could you help me out and give me some tips? Now there's, like anything, there is a deep end here that you want to avoid. Let's not go in asking all of our neighbors to solve all of our problems. Like, hey, you are really good at cleaning gutters. Can you come and clean mine too? <laughs> No, it's, it's just this seeking information, sharing information, seeking help, and giving help. This reciprocity, this is what builds the beautiful community that we're trying to create. So if love is the end game, we should be keeping our eyes peeled for how we can be a blessing to those that we live by. And as we're building relationships and moving out of the stranger zone, I think what you will find is that your neighbors will begin to be open and ready to receive some love in action. We've got an elderly widow who lives next door, and she's got our phone number, and she often calls me to help her with little things. Maybe she needs me to look something up on the internet or come fix her TV. She'll call over and ask me to send my boys to do a little project outside. We'll take out her trash cans, shovel her walk in the winter, and on special occasions, maybe send over a plate of food. These tiny acts of love are really felt by her and appreciated because she tells us so. So when you're starting to get to, get to know your neighbors, you begin to see the needs right next door. Now, I think as Christians, we sometimes we get a reputation of being nice simply to introduce people to Jesus, like to recruit more Christians, right? But here's why it's important to remember that love is the end game. Do I want to love my neighbors to Christ? Of course I do. I know the value of and, and, and the peace of a life dedicated to Jesus. But my neighbors aren't projects. More than loving them to Christ, what I want to do is love them like Christ. I want to serve them, and I want to bring them peace and comfort. Now, there's a difference between ulterior motives and ultimate motives. My ultimate motive is to reveal the character of God. And if that's your standard, then there's no condition to the love. It doesn't matter if they accept your invitation to the church picnic or to the small group. You keep loving them because love is the end game. And when love is the end game, there's no excuse not to love difficult neighbors. Ah, so you, you hear me painting this rosy picture of this beautiful community of reciprocity. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine but I think you will be hard-pressed to find a neighborhood that is full of nothing but kind and reasonable people. Right? 
Now, how you love a difficult neighbor will be determined by their specific flavor of difficulty, um, but there's no loophole or out here. When love is the end game, you love even when it's difficult. When love is the end game, you love even when they don't love you back. And I'll be the first to tell you that I'm not perfect at this. And I don't think that anybody can be. But here's the beautiful thing, is that we can love our neighbors imperfectly and still make a difference. We can love our neighbors imperfectly and still have an impact. And here's the most beautiful thing. Love is contagious. And once a culture of neighboring is cultivated in your neighborhood, everyone benefits. Now, I think it's important as we're speaking about neighboring well that while true Christ-like love is sacrificial, there's also wisdom and boundaries. We're talking about opening up our lives to people, right? We're talking about opening up our yards, our porches, and even opening up our homes. And I want to quote Pastor Gino. He said, real love exposes you to the possibility, even the likelihood of being taken advantage of. This kind of love is risky, but it is the kind of love that Jesus is calling us to. And I'll share that I, I have encountered a little, a little bit of this in my journey. And I sought the Spirit for advice. I was like, how am I supposed to love now, God? And as, as I sought the Spirit, I heard him reminding me, love can also look like boundaries. So whether we're responding to an unfortunate event or trying to prevent one from happening, we can lean on the Spirit for wisdom, discernment, and guidance. We can lean on the Holy Spirit to guide us in appropriate boundaries. So let's put this all together, and worship team, you can come back up. As a follower of Jesus, we're called to radically love other people. It's right up there with loving God. This kind of love that Jesus is calling us to, it's a higher standard than the law has set. It's risky. It's sacrificial. It's indiscriminate love. Jesus used the parable of the Good Samaritan to paint such a broad definition of neighbor that there would be no loopholes to loving others. We're called to love our enemies. We're called to love strangers. But when everyone is the target of our love, we run the risk of really not ending up loving anyone. But what if we put the face of our actual neighbor as our target? And then what if we were to put a name to that face? And then what if we were to actually build a relationship with that person so we can learn how to tailor our love to serve them well. If we can get past our fears, if we can push past that discomfort of putting ourselves out there, like get comfortable with the idea of 
walking up and introducing ourselves to someone that we've only done polite nods and waves to for five years. Or the vulnerability of going up and knocking on the door of a neighbor that you've lived next to for three years, maybe offering some baked goods and saying, hey, I know we've never chatted before, but my name's Lauren. It's great to meet you. If we can make time and space to build these relationships, assigning the great commandment to love our neighbor its proper value in our lives, then we're on our, on our way to neighboring well, and God willing, creating a beautiful community for everyone to enjoy. Now, if you're comfortable, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to picture your block or neighborhood or apartment complex. Picture a cooperative community of neighbors loving each other and helping each other out, carrying each other's burdens. Now, if you were on Google Maps and you were then to then zoom out, the larger community around you is made up of dozens of blocks and neighborhoods and apartment complexes. Can you imagine the impact it might have on a city if neighborhoods all around worked on neighboring well? You can open your eyes. I think when we hear about and we see the problems that are facing communities, it can seem insurmountable. There's so many people struggling in so many ways. There's no way we can solve these problems without huge manpower and buckets of money and organized efforts. And while all of these organized efforts are great and can make an impact, can you picture the ripple effect that loving your neighbor might have on the wider communities that we live in? If each Christian sprinkled across our community began building relationships with the person next door. We would be on our way to bringing the kingdom of God here on earth, being the hands and feet of Jesus. Outreach efforts and mission trips are wonderful, but don't think for a second that you have to get on a plane or go to a food pantry to do the work of God. God might have an assignment for you right outside your front door. I wanna pray, come Holy Spirit. God, would you empower us to love our neighbors well? God, would you give us the courage to overcome the fear of awkwardness, Lord? Would you help us assign this task its right value in our lives? God, and would you just give us the vision of the role we're to play on our block, on our floor of the apartment complex, in our neighborhoods? In Jesus' name, amen.